and welcome to a special edition of the McGregor Podcast. I'm Mark Bricker, your host for this special Hot Topic podcast series. Recently on a Wednesday night, as part of our Journey Together ministry, we hosted a Hot Topic night with Pastor Russell Howard leading. The topic? Thinking biblically about persevering in faith. And what's the deal with ex-Christians? Now, if you're realizing that you have not listened to the part one of this series, I would encourage you to press stop now go back and listen to part one first. But if you've already listened to part one, join me now as we listen to part two of thinking biblically about religious liberty. Our bottom line up front that there are no ex-Christians, but there are those who are false converts who do not ultimately endure in their false conversion. We've seen that Jesus described it in the parable of the sower. We've seen that the Bible gives us at least three examples. If you had met Judas, Demas or Simon the Magician on their best day, you would have had reason to conclude that they were following Jesus. We have passages that speak about this, this, this very dynamic. Um, Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus is speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that is not everyone who goes through the external forms of appearing to worship me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, that is judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. They've got prophecy, they've got power, they've got performance. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, worker of lawlessness. Hebrews 6, 1 through 9 is held to be a classic passage describing somebody who gets saved but then isn't. But I think I can show you, I tend to be extraordinarily simplistic. I think I can show you that it's not that at all, and I think I can show you that it's not that at all in one aha moment for you. I believe I can. In the event, Hebrews 6 sits sideways in your mind in terms of understanding that believers endure to the end. Let's read the passage. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. He says, I've got some things I'd like to teach you. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, 
who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. Right away, there's a hint. None of those terms in that list are commonly used anywhere in the New Testament to describe salvation. They've hit, they've hit the sample platter. They have been around and even externally experienced, but then they fall away to restore them again to repentance since they crucify once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. That is, the theoretical person he's describing who considers themselves an ex-Christian will respond to future evangelistic overtures by saying, I already tried that. I've done everything Christians do. It didn't work for me. They have further hardened their hearts to the gospel. For land that has drunk the rain that often, fall, that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Aha, Brother Russell, he's describing ex-Christians. Read on one more verse. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. What I was just describing isn't salvation. In your case, I'm convinced of better things, things that belong to salvation. Paul, no, it's not. The author of Hebrews, I actually don't think that was probably Paul. The author of Hebrews here is, is saying to you, this previous paragraph was describing something that's not salvation. But my hope for you, dear reader, as a saved person is something else entirely. He's describing that false convert who did not endure. 1 John 2. Verses 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Many, many overt opposers and enemies of Christ. If you want to add a footnote, these are faith deconstructors with YouTube channels. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Real faith endures. If they'd ever been a Christian, they'd still be one. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There are no ex-Christians. I'm going to spend a couple minutes opining, editorializing. If you want to disagree with any passage that I have read, 
Inasmuch as you disagree with my interpretation, we will be fine. If you flatly disagree with the passage, go home, get in your closet, and take it up with the author. Okay? Heretofore, I have only minimally opined, editorialized. But I'm about to do a bit of editorializing. Because it seems to me, and I know that, that <laughs> what the internet has done is made anybody who's got a $25 worth of hardware to hang off their $150 computer can make themselves a celebrity. But our world seems to be more highly populated with voices claiming to be ex-Christian than at any time in my lifetime. What's, what's driving that? What's producing that? Well, since I'm pretending you asked, here's at least part of it. American evangelicals have too often dealt with the matter of conversion in an overly shallow way. We have pushed for instantaneous emotional responses often in extraordinarily pregnant, emotional, pressure sales settings that don't look anything like any conversion story in the New Testament. We have... ushered people into repeating rote or ritualistic prayers. Say these words after me. Now, Jesus made it real clear to Nicodemus that God saves whom he will. Salvation is a Sovereign work of the Holy Spirit at its most ultimate core. And so if you were born again because some kind-hearted evangelist cared enough about you to confront you with the gospel, and even if that person led you in the sinner's prayer, and tonight you sit here confident in your new birth because of a life that was truly transformed, glory to God. But I'm not young and I'm pretty observant. And I have seen rooms full of people told to repeat these words. And then my favorite long hyphenated churchy word, if you pray that prayer in a minute, it's one long hyphenated churchy word. If you pray that prayer in a minute, you're saved tonight and don't let anybody ever tell you anything different. instantaneous, high-pressure, rote prayer, and I'm telling you, you're born again because you have jumped through a series of hoops that were set up for you in this service for you to jump through. And I am now telling you, you are absolutely born again. No thoughtful examination. We'll rush you right now into baptism. A closing the deal mentality 
as though there's some sort of, forget the great commission, we've acted like we're on commission. I was once asked by a dear brother whom I love why I don't lead people in a sinner's prayer. And I don't, whether in private evangelistic encounters or in pulpit ministry. My response was, show me one instance in the New Testament. Not five, not ten, not the normal pattern. Show me one time in the New Testament where any evangelist telling somebody to come to Jesus, one time recited a prayer that was repeated back to them. Show me one time, I'll wait. I'm still waiting. It's not there. So what happens in an economy like that with no evidence of actual conversion we immediately take that person and we start talking about eternal security, which I absolutely affirm. And while we're talking to them about eternal security, we start loading them up with rules to live by. If you're, if you're a real Christian, you'll, here are the 25 healthy hints for a happy home. Here are 17 things Christians do with their money. Here are the nine ways you should go be a more effective witness. Rules, 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 rules. By the way, here's the things Christians always do. Here's the things Christians never do. Rules, 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 rules. And we load them up. Having told them they're born again. Further, having told them that they will always be born again. <laughs> whether they're a new creature or not. We then, we then, I call it, I may as well be frank, we're family, I call it goat coaching. Sheep can be discipled. Goats can be coached. And we goat coach. Heaping on behavioral, by the way, you can't do that if you teach the New Testament verse by verse. Because generally the New Testament doesn't do a lot of that. There are certainly directions from God in the New Testament. But the New Testament has a lot more to say about this is true of you because you are a Christian than it does Christians obey the following rules. It's a fascinating Bible study to take your New Testament, even the, start with the epistles, and mark out the differences between declaratory statements and directive statements regarding what life in Christ is. I was challenged to do that by a seminary professor, and that Bible study changed my life, certainly changed my teaching. We heap on rules to live by without... without taking into account whether the individual is experiencing a new creature. Are they a sheep? And so what we end up with is burnt out ex-rule keepers who just don't want to do it anymore. 
In a very real sense, I don't blame them. Burned out ex-rule keepers who just don't want to do it anymore, they think they've walked away from Jesus. I did every religious thing you told me to do. In interviewing prospective members, which we've done that now with everyone who's joined the church since 2015, 16 or so, certainly since 17 when our new constitution came in, well, not so new anymore, when our present constitution came into effect, we asked them for their testimony. And, and, and you know what scares me most of all? Is a testimony that sounds like it was written by a Christian book author. They use all the, all the language. Well, yes, when I was X years old, I, I walked the aisle and prayed the prayer. I'm not saying that person's testimony is false at all, at all, at all. But that, that makes my, boy, I, I pick those terms apart. I pick those terms apart. Because that can be that. What, 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 what one is looking for is new creatureness. How has he changed you? What's different since you came to faith in Christ? What new creatureness can you describe? Not what's your historical religious behavior resume. Because you are not to be confident in your salvation based on historical ritualistic conformity. So, what do we do with this? What is, I'm, I'm through editorializing by the way, and if you're if your summation of all of that is, well, as usual, Russell is all wet. And as Brother Mark alluded about questions on the podcast, I have a tendency to make up in confidence what I lack in expertise. And I'm pointedly aware of my capacity for error when I'm editorializing. But if I didn't think I was right, I wouldn't have said what I said. What, what, what shall we do? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. If you're saved because you did the right three steps of religious behavior as prescribed someplace in your past, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 is nonsensical. But if the grounds of your salvation is the, is the reality of new creature behavior flowing out of you and fruit of the Spirit coming up on your branches, then 2 Corinthians 13.5 makes sense. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. He's writing to believers. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What's the test? The test is new creatureness. He told them that back in chapter 5. Well, 
When I, when I doubt my salvation, when I look at my life and I see unbroken sin patterns, I see no desire for holiness, no love of the word of God, no love for his people. All I do, I take out my old baptismal certificate that was signed by Reverend so-and-so in 1971, and he told me, once saved, always saved. God bless you. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, what qualities? The qualities of a new creature, you will never fail. It's not that you're kept saved by impersonating a new creature. That's the road to that ex-Christian burnout we've been talking about. Does it flow from the place of who you are? Do you continue to hate your sin and long to follow the one who has loved you enough to go to the cross on your behalf? Brother Russell is a person who struggles with sin saved. It's a good indication. If you're in the struggle, great. Doesn't scare me nearly as bad as someone who isn't. 1 John 5, the whole book, by the way. If you want to examine your faith, if you want to, if you want to lay down in the MRI and get a vivid scan, I will warn you, 1 John is difficult but not complicated. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John is explicitly written as a wonderfully brutal diagnostic tool. You get along with God the Holy Spirit in 1 John if you have lingering doubts. There aren't any ex-Christians. My heart breaks. I guess, I guess they ought to make me angry. But the list of things that makes me angry gets shorter with each passing year. The list of things that break my heart gets longer. My heart breaks for those who have, in many cases, bought what they've been sold and found that the model doesn't work because they were sold something that isn't authentic. I don't care if you ever said the right words or not. I find all kinds of verbal expressions in the New Testament in people who have passed from darkness to light, who were not following Jesus, but then who really did, who needed to repent and did. My question is, right now, tonight, August 9th, 2023, are you trusting in what Christ did for you on the cross and that alone 
to give you the gift of right standing before God. That's saving faith. I don't know. I ask a follow-up question. Are you a new creature? Have old things passed away? Is there a fundamental internal difference between what you were and what you are? If so, you will never lose that. You are saved not based on you, but based on him. And he keeps those whom he saves. Thank you for listening to this special McGregor podcast, Thinking Biblically About Persevering in Faith, Part 2. And by the way, it's not over yet. We're going to be releasing very shortly a very special Q&A podcast with Pastor Russell. Many of you that were there attending this uh, had a chance to turn in your questions. And so I'm going to be sitting down here in the podcast studio with Pastor Russell, asking him those questions that were turned in and maybe some other ones as well. And I would encourage you to be looking for this upcoming podcast, a very special Q&A podcast with Pastor Russell.